15. Uh, verse 14 says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so the series title is this, A Faithful Steward. Am I... Are you a faithful steward? And then Christian, the title of the message this morning is this, The Meaning of Stewardship. Do we even know what stewardship is? Do we have a good idea of it? Uh, Is it something that we think about regularly? And I'm going to step out on a limb and say for most of us, probably not. So we're going to work to change that this morning. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, help us to have ears that uh, hear and hearts that discern. And Lord, uh, help us to have a, 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 a change of a worldview that fits the Bible. And Lord, where we're not in line with Scripture, my prayer is that you would move us in line with Scripture. Help our hearts to be moldable and tender. And Lord, uh, we pray that um, you would correct us where we need it. And Lord, help show us the right way. Lord, for those in here this morning that are dealing with hardships and heartaches and struggles and problems, Lord, would you either calm the storms in their life or would you come near to them and calm them while the storm rages on? Lord, may we feel your presence and your love and your convicting spirit in the room this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. A faithful steward. A faithful steward. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the first two verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, Paul, ta- Paul tells the church of Corinth, he says, Let a man so account of us. This is Paul and his team. As of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Listen to verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. What does that mean? That a man is there in his place, and a woman is in her place, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, for a lifetime, as long as I hold the title of steward, I am faithful in doing what I've been commanded to do. What does, what does it mean To be a steward. What is the definition of stewardship? Stewardship is defined this way. It is the position and duties of a steward. um, A person who acts as the surrogate of another or others, especially by managing property, financial affairs, and estate, etc. Uh, The closest thing I can think of in the American culture to a steward would maybe be a butler a butler who uh, works in the home of someone who's very, very wealthy, 
And you know what? If you're wealthy and you own a big house and you have a bunch of people employed that work for you and uh, you have uh, many uh, 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 grounds to take care of and a lot of maintenance that needs to be done and you have multiple uh, uh, bank accounts and you have a whole lot going on, then you might hire someone to be the administrator or the manager or the overseer so that all of that just happens and you can enjoy living in your home. This is a steward. A steward. A steward is someone who can be trusted. A steward is someone who is reliable. A steward is someone who is faithful. A steward is someone who is consistent. A steward is someone who is not careless with his master or his employer's items, but rather a steward is someone that is 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 reliable and someone that is faithful and someone who the, the manager doesn't have, or rather the owner does not have to look over their shoulder at every minute. There are, the idea of a steward runs way back into the book of Genesis. In fact, in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham makes reference to his steward. Um, uh, maybe a biblical example we all uh, know well in here is the story of Joseph. You remember Joseph was bought by Potiphar and uh, as a slave, and uh, he was thrown into the pit by his brothers prior to that, and then his brothers sold him into slavery, and uh, sold, uh, and then the, they sold him uh, to Potiphar. And Potiphar was an Egyptian man that kept the prison for King Pharaoh. And, uh, and uh, Potiphar took Joseph as a slave into his house. And Joseph there, he, um, he uh, uh, worked hard and went from being a servant to being a steward. What does that mean? Slowly but surely, he proved himself to be trustworthy with Potiphar. And Potiphar began to give him, give him more and more responsibility. He began to give him more and more oversight in his home. It got to the place where Potiphar's wife made a sexual advancement at, uh, at Joseph, and Joseph said, whoa, 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 whoa. He said, uh, your husband, my master, has given me oversight of the entire house. I do all the buying of the food. I do all of the ordering around of the servants. He said, I even control his money, but the one thing I can't touch is you. Is you. Joseph was the steward for Potiphar. Alright, I'm trying to illustrate for you this morning what a steward is. Now, hang with me here. Uh, Joseph would be thrown into the prison uh, uh, based on a, a false accusation by Potiphar's wife. And then from the prison, as the story goes, he would be rocketed up to number two in the country. And being now a powerful man himself... He himself would need a steward. And we see in Genesis chapter 43 and 44 that Joseph makes reference to the steward that oversaw his own personal and business affairs. First Kings and First Chronicles makes references to two different kings in Israel that had their own stewards. First Chronicle 28 makes reference to David's steward. Now, in the time that Jesus lived, it was common for those who owned farmland... Uh, to have a steward who would oversee the sowing and reaping process. Now, we didn't call him a steward, but my first job as a 12-year-old boy was working for a man who was a steward of a fruit farm. The man who owned the farm, his name was Donnie Reeves. 
Donnie Reeves. And Donnie had at one time run the farm, but Donnie was an old, old man and beginning to get dementia. And Donnie was a drunk. Now, praise the Lord, in his old age prior to dying, Donnie got saved and gave up his alcohol and his life totally turned around. But while I worked there on that farm, Donnie was a drunk and he'd drive his truck around, his old beat-up 1980s uh, one-ton Chevy truck. He'd drive that all over the farm. He had a bottle of alcohol in his hand and you'd see him swerve all through the fields. Good thing he never ran into a tree. But Donnie would come by and he would yell at us and he would holler at us and tell us to do things and then we were confused. It's Donnie's farm. Are we doing what Donnie told us or John's my boss? Am I doing what John told me? John was a deacon at the church uh, where um, I attended and John was the steward of the farm. And so I went to John one day and I said, Donnie's telling me one thing and you're telling me something else. Who do I listen to? And he said, listen, Donnie is not able to give you instruction. In fact, Donnie's family has hired me to run the farm. Now, whose farm was it? It was Donnie's farm. But who ran the farm? Who oversaw the planting and and reaping process? Who oversaw the churning of the fields? Who oversaw the rest of the fields? Who oversaw the selling of the produce? Who oversaw that whole process? The steward, John, did. Are we getting the idea of stewardship this morning? God owns it all. We are His stewards. We are His stewards. In the book of Titus, Paul told Titus that bishops or pastors are the stewards of God. Who is the pastor of White Oak Baptist Church? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, this isn't my church. It wasn't Barry Brown's church. It wasn't Michael Peslak's church. And it's not Richard Lejeune's church. It's his church. Amen? I've been put here to steward the church of God, but make no mistake, He is the owner of White Oak Baptist Church. And Christian, you've been called a steward. In fact, 1 Peter 4.10 tells us that we are to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Listen to this illustration here. So when, 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 when man, when mankind finds Jesus, what does it cost him? What does it cost us to become a Christian? Please hear me. This, this illustration is key to the introduction, all right? So uh, uh, pay attention and catch this. When a man finds Jesus, what does it cost him? It costs him everything. Everything. Jesus has happiness, joy, peace, healing, security, eternity. Man marvels at such a pearl and says, I want this pearl. You know the parable, right? The man goes and sells all he has to buy the pearl of great price. So how much does it cost us to be saved? The seller says, it's too dear, it's too costly. But how much comes the question, comes the reply? Well, it's it's very expensive. Do you think I could buy it? Well, the answer is it costs everything you have. No more, no less. So anybody can buy it. Well, then the reply comes back, well, then I'll buy it. What, what do you have? Let, let's, let's write it down. All right? And the man says, I have $10,000 in the bank. Good, good. $10,000. What else do you have? Well, I have nothing more. That's all I have. Well, empty out your pockets. How much money do you have in your pockets? 
Well, let's see here. I've got $30, $40, $50, $80, $100, $120. Yep, that's what I have. $10,000 in the bank and $120 in my pocket. Okay, comes back the reply. That's fine. What else do you have? Well, I have nothing else. That's all I have. Then uh, the Lord asks, well, where do you live? Well, I live in my house. Okay, I'll take the house too. Then you mean I must live in my garage. Oh, you have a garage. All right, I'll take the garage as well. What else? What do you mean what else? Now where am I going to sleep my car? Oh, yeah, you have a car? Oh, actually, I have two cars. Yep, I'll take your cars as well. Well, then where are my children, my wife and two children supposed to stay with me? I'll take your wife and children as well. Then what else is there for me to have? I have nothing left but myself. Oh, you too. Everything becomes mine, Jesus says. Your wife, your children, your house, your money, your cars, everything. And you as well. Now you can use all those things here. But don't forget, they are mine. Just as you are. And when I need any of the things you are using, you must give them to me because now I am your owner. Now don't mistake what I'm saying. Salvation doesn't cost you anything. Salvation is a free gift. But once you accept the free gift of Jesus Christ, He becomes the owner of everything you have and everything you are. That's what it means to be a steward. Everything I have belongs to God. Everything I have belongs to God. Back in our text, Matthew 25, we find Jesus instructing His disciples as to how things will be in the last days. Matthew 25, we find Jesus sharing with us a parable about a man, a great man of great wealth, that entrusts a portion of his wealth to three stewards. Throughout the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at various parts of Matthew chapter 25 as we seek to understand this parable, uh, this teaching. These men are expected to take what is not theirs. Those talents or that money is not theirs. Um, uh, They're expected to take it and treat it with great care. They are to earn interest on the money that they have been given. Now, notice the money is not theirs, the money belongs to the master. To the master. They are given the responsibility of taking the master's wealth and growing that wealth. He gives them this money, and then he leaves to go into a far country. Now, let's look at Matthew 25 and look at verse 14 and understand that Jesus is talking about himself. And the servants are all of us. Look at verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants, and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, or five sets of money, to another two, and to another one. To every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. So Jesus has left us with many things 
And He entrusts us with these things. Yes, money is part of it, but stewardship is not just about money. Everything I have belongs to God, and He's going to call us before Him one day, and we're going to give an account of how we handled what He has left us. Now, make no mistake, this is important that you understand this. Everything belongs to God. You with me this morning? You guys alright this morning? Everything belongs to God. That shirt you're wearing belongs to God. Amen? Everything. The car you rode in to get here belongs to God. The house that you have your name on or that you rent belongs to God. Amen? If you question that, listen to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14. Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's, thy God. The earth also, listen to this part, and all that therein is. All that therein is. In Psalm 90, uh, 89, verse 11, the psalmist declared to God, The heavens are thine, the earth also is thine. As for the world and the fullness thereof, thou hast founded them. Everything in this world belongs to God. So that means that everything that I have in my possession belongs to God. Before I get into the first point of the message, I want to illustrate it this way if I can. Uh, a, a while back I was reading a book, this was years ago, I was reading a book on parenting and it was talking about your children and uh, the things that your children have and how, how uh, territorial children can get over their things. And how to handle that when they're toddlers, and then how to handle that up through the teen years and before they leave home. And what the instruction was, and I, we follow this in our house, what the instruction was is tell your children that everything they have belongs to you, and they're, they're taking care of it on your behalf. You know, this has helped me through so many problems at home, Right? Some of you give my children birthday money. And if you do that, thank you. It's never expected, but always appreciated. You know who you're really giving the money to? You're giving it to me. Now, I don't spend it, and I don't use I don't take it and pay bills with it. But I make sure Matthew and April know it may be in your bank account. It's my money. That bed you sleep in is mine. Those clo- Some of you are really uncomfortable right now. Those clothes in your drawer are mine. Those toys you got for Christmas are mine. You know, that's exactly what God does with us. Matthew might say, this is my shirt. My shirt. But really, that shirt belongs to Dad, but ultimately belongs to God. Amen? This is the idea of stewardship. Nothing belongs to me. It all belongs to God. So guess who gets to call the shots? God gets to call the shots. Now, oftentimes when we hear stewardship, we think, uh, if you've been in church for a while, you hear the word stewardship and you think, oh, grab your wallets. The pastor's coming after my money. Right? How many of you have been in church long enough to know what I'm talking about? pastor starts talking about stewardship, you think, oh, boy, he's coming after my money. And listen, uh, while your money does belong to the Lord, so does everything else. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We'll touch on money a little bit this morning, but we're not going to dwell there real long. All right? Uh, My proposition this morning is simple, that many Christians would find and complete God's will if they would wrap their hearts and minds around the idea of stewardship. Everything 
that I have. Everything that you have belongs to God. All of it. It is not on us to call the shots with what we do, with what we have been entrusted. It is up to us to be obedient. This week, we will begin a four-week journey as we look in great detail at the idea of being a faithful steward. A Christian faithful steward. And uh, we're going to run through seven areas that we are to steward as we consider this title, The Meaning of Stewardship. The Meaning of Stewardship. Let's jump in here. If you've got a bulletin, I encourage you to fill in the notes on the back here. Notice number one, my treasures belong to God. My treasures belong to God. Turn with me in your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 6. And uh, for the sake of uh, what we're doing this morning, you can let go of Matthew chapter number 25. Turn over to Matthew chapter number 6. And uh, we'll be in Matthew 6 for a good portion of the message this morning. Matthew 6 and look at verse number 21. Notice letter A, the finances that I treasure. The finances that I treasure. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You show me where you spend your money, and I'll show you where your passions are. Amen? Now, um, you open up your, um, your, your bank account, and you mark down and show me percentage-wise how you're spending your money, and I can tell you what you care about. You spend a lot of money on a mortgage that you probably love your house very much. You probably put a lot of time into your house. You spend a lot of money on a boat. I can tell you, you care about that boat. You have season tickets to a sports team. You're probably very passionate about that sports team. You put a lot of money in the offering plate at the church. You're probably, you probably care a lot about what happens at the church. Where your treasure is, your heart is there also. Look down to verse number 24. The Bible says, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot, ye cannot serve God and mammon. And the word mammon means money. Mammon means money. Um, People get saved and they start coming to church. And they hear the idea of giving charitably to the church. And they think, you know what? I don't have any money to give to the church. I don't have much money to give to the church. You know, I, I'm pretty well spent out. I, I'm out of cash. You know, I can throw a 20 in here and there, but I, as far as giving to the Lord and the Lord's work and giving to foreign missions so that the gospel can be preached around the globe and, you know, giving toward the furtherance of the gospel through my own uh, uh, local church, I, you know, I just, I don't have it to give. Pastor, uh, legitimately, I don't, have it to give. And I would say to you, is it yours or is it the Lord's? Is it yours or is it the Lord's? When you go to the doctor for a checkup, you know what the doctor does? The doctor begins to push, poke, and prod, and press in various places. Uh, All the while, the doctor's asking, does this hurt? Does this hurt? Does this hurt? How many know the process? You know what I'm talking about? Right? If you say, oh, yeah, stop, right there, it hurts, one of two things is happening. Either the doctor is pressing too hard or something's wrong. Amen? 
And the doctor, if you if you begin to, oh, don't do that, that hurts, the doctor's probably going to say, we need to run some tests. We need to get to the bottom of why that hurts. So it is when pastors preach on financial responsibility. And certain members crowd in discomfort, criticizing the message, criticizing the messenger. Either the pastor has pressed a little too hard, and I've been in churches where that's happened. I, I don't, I try, in fact, I probably ought to press more than I do. I don't press much at all, push much at all. But either the pastor has pushed too hard, or perhaps there's something wrong. My friend, we need the great physician, because it's not supposed to hurt there. It's not supposed to hurt there. Um, every dime in my bank account, all three of them, amen? You guys awake this morning? Every dime in my bank account belongs to the Lord. It's not mine. If you were to go down to the bank with me, and, and I were to get a printout of my bank account, you would find that it has my name and my wife's name on that account. Every, every bank account we have, we have both of our names on those accounts. But you know whose name really should be on that account? The Lord's. The Lord's. Every dime I have is the Lord's. And He asks for some of it back for His work. But it's all His. Let's not bicker with the Lord. My treasures belong to God. The finances that I treasure. Letter B, notice, the family and friends that I treasure. The family and friends that I treasure. Psalm 127, verse 3 and 4 say, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is His reward. As arrows are in the hands of a mighty warrior, so are children of the youth. The Lord has entrusted to me two children. My wife and I, two children. Matthew and April. And I will lovingly say, that's my boy. Or that's my girl. But you know... That's not really my boy. It's his boy. That's not really my girl. It's his girl. Four, five, six times a year, in a tender moment, I will look my child in the eye, and I'll say to him or her, I'll say, You do not belong to me, you belong to the Lord. I don't want you to pursue my ambitions and plans for your life. I want you to pursue His. One day, Lord willing, you're going to move out of my house. If not, I'm going to kick you out of my house. Amen? One day you're going to move out of my house. And when you do, you'll still belong to the Lord. Mom and Dad, those, children's don't belong, those children don't belong to you. Now God has given them to you to train them up. And teach them. And children, God has given you your parents to tell you what to do. So don't be rebellious to the process. Uh, the first nine years of your life, you teach your children. The second nine years of their life, you train your children. You're, you're helping them learn how to behave. And children, don't fight that process. But mom and dad, don't ever forget, they don't belong to you. They belong to the Lord. 
Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 tells us that those in authority will give an account to God for the way they, the, the, the way those entrusted to them turned out. Now, how about the husband and wife relationship? 1 Corinthians 7 talks about the husband and wife relationship. It says that the husband is to steward his wife's body and the wife is to be the steward of her husband's body. Ephesians 5 uh, uh, teaches that the husband and wife are to prepare each other to be turned over to the Lord in eternity. So I am preparing Angela uh, for eternity and she is preparing me for eternity. And listen, if you're not married here today, then praise God, you don't have to worry about that. Amen? I can't walk around and act like that Angela is my property. And she can't walk around and act like I am her property. And I say, uh, get over here, you are my wife, and, and I own you. No, 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 I don't own Angela. I don't own Matthew and April. I don't own my children. The Lord Jesus Christ owns them. He has just simply entrusted them to me. Boy, I can't think of anything I treasure more than my family and my friends. How about your friends? Psalm twenty-seven, seventeen says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. A good friend will cheer you up when you're down. One day I'm going to give an account to God for the friends that He has given me. My treasures belong to God. Number two, my things belong to God. My things belong to God. Matthew chapter 6, look at verse number 25. And uh, let's, let's read down to verse number 29. It says, Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, or, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on, your clothing. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Raiment, again, means clothing. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather they into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye, are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto your unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I speak unto, I say unto you that even Solomon, King Solomon, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Let me ask you a question. Do you have in your possession the things that God wants you to own? Do you own the things that God wants you to own? Now, when I was putting this message together, this part right here, the Lord really, He stepped down real hard on my toes and said, uh, you need this, buddy. You need this right here. So I'm going to guess if I need it, and probably a lot of you need it as well, all right? Um, here's a line of questioning for you that I don't think mo many of us think about. Do we consider the will of God when we're purchasing things? If He were to climb in our cars this afternoon, Jesus were to come down in the flesh, and He were to get in our cars this afternoon, would, be, would He be in the car that He wanted us to buy? Did you stop and say, Lord, do you, do you want me to buy this particular car? You see, because if it all belongs to the Lord, maybe we should get His mind on it, don't you think? Amen? If He were to go to your house and eat lunch this afternoon, would He walk into the house that He wanted you to purchase? I'm going to meddle here for a minute. All right? If He were to push away from your table and walk over to your entertainment center and look at your movie collection, 
Did you consult him before you purchased those movies? And to you younger crowd, I'm not even talking about the physical shelf. I'm talking about the digital one too. If he walked into your garage and looked at your lawn equipment or walked around your house and looked at your furniture or went around and looked at all the electronic gadgets that you own, would you be able to look him in the eye and say, remember when I prayed to you about buying that? Do you have in your possessions the things that God wants you to own? Now I have to say that I need to work at this area. Amen? We'd be far less materialistic if we considered God and His will on each item that we buy. The things that you have purchased. Here's another question for you. The things that you have purchased, are you using them for the kingdom of heaven? A missionary comes into town and needs a car to drive for a few days. Is yours available? If it's the Lord's, then yes. If it's yours, then no. A traveling preacher and his family come through. And they need a place to sleep for a few nights. You willing to give up your bedroom? You willing to give up your kid's bedroom? You willing to give up your, your privacy in, at home for a few days and be inconvenienced? For a few days, if the house belongs to the Lord, you are. If the house belongs to you, then you're not. God moves in your heart and, and says, I want you to give away that expensive handbag or purse or that expensive tie or I want you to take your brand new cell phone that you just uh, bought and I want you to give that away to brother such and such or sister such and such. Are you listening for the voice of God? One and two, if He told you to, would you do it? You see, if these things belong to the Lord, then yes. But if we take the attitude that they're mine, keep your hands off my things. Listen, the truth is, my name is uh, on a, a, a home title. I don't own a home. It's the Lord's. My name sits on a car title. I don't own that car. It's the Lord's. I own a closet full of clothes, and, and I own a, a drawers full of clothes. Those clothes are not mine. They're the Lord's. And, and uh, I have a wife and children. They're not mine. They're the Lord's. I've got bank accounts, but that, that bank account, the money in there, it's not mine. It's the Lord's. He's just entrusted me with it. The treasures. My treasures belong to God. My things belong to God. Number three, notice, my tomorrows belong to God. You get the idea here? Everything belongs to the Lord. Look back at Matthew chapter 6. And look at verse number 34 with me. Matthew chapter 6, verse 34 says, Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. What does that mean? That means God is in control of your tomorrow, so you don't need to worry about it. Amen? You just need to worry about today. Tomorrow represents the future. It represents the immediate future. When you string a bunch of tomorrows together, what do you get? You get the long-term future. I see many Christians who are not stewarding well their future. Our own ambitions for what we want for ourselves... And those we oversee and lead get in the way of God's perfect will for our life. I don't have the right to plan out the rest of my life and set it in stone. It is my duty to serve the Lord today 
and do what He has in store for me today. I am not to force my desires for my future on God. It is my duty to follow His orders for me today and let Him direct every one of my tomorrows. The taxes in Connecticut are high. Aren't they? Yeah. You know, uh, the popular thing to do right now is to retire and move out of the state. Sometimes folks who aren't retired move out of the state. Don't they? Because the taxes are so high. Um, Have you consulted God about what your future is? Some of you are just running under the assumption that when I retire, I'm moving. Have you spent one second praying about that? Do you know? If he wants you to do it, go for it. He may sign off on it and say, yeah, that's what I want for you. Move on. But he may not. He may not. Psalm Psalm chapter 37, verse 23 says this, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Every time I read that verse, I think of uh, the, the many families that were part of my adult Sunday school class when I uh, lived in Glen Burnie, Maryland. Glen Burnie is right around the corner from Fort Meade. Fort Meade is a military base. It's a very large military base. And uh, that church that I attended there had a lot of military families come through it. And I think of Paul and Kathy Walker. Paul and Kathy Walker and their sweet, I think they had four daughters or maybe it was three daughters, but their their sweet uh, family. And uh, boy, Paul and Kathy were involved. And uh, Paul was, uh, I believe, in the in the army, if I remember right. And and um, uh, he he uh, they, uh, the military brought him to Glen Burnie or that area. And he actually lived on Fort Meade. We actually had class activities on the military base at his uh, base housing there. But Paul and his family were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night for church. Uh, uh, Kathy taught in the Master Club program, and uh, their daughters worked hard and earned lots of badges and prizes during their time in the Master Club program. And they were as involved as a family as could be and attended my Sunday school class. I remember the day Paul came up to me and he said, Pastor, we're moving to Texas. I said, What? He said, we've gotten our orders that we have to move. We're leaving on this day and this time. You know what? Paul didn't get to decide where he lived. The military decided where Paul lived. Paul just had to obey. You know, Paul moved to Glen Burnie from, um, I believe it was Iceland. And before Iceland, he lived in Germany. And uh, he, was a 20, he, was, he was on his way to being a 20-year military guy. And he moved all over the place. You know, Christian, God's called you. Not to let Uncle Sam order you around, but the Lord order you around. Now, um, part of this comes down to this. Do you believe God has your best interest at heart? Do you believe that? What if God were to come to you today and say, I want you to sell all your things. I want you to give all your money to the poor, the way he told the rich man. And I want you to uh, pack up your bags, and I want you to move to Africa or Asia or South America, and I want you to be a missionary. You game? You willing to do it? Let's be honest with ourselves. Is he really in charge? See, we call him Lord, but we're not really willing to do what he says. And this idea of stewardship is the farthest thing from our thinking. You see, Christian, I can't get you to be obedient in your giving to the Lord 
until you come to realization that it's all His anyway. All of it. Including my tomorrows. Number four. Notice, my time belongs to God. My time belongs to God. Psalm chapter 74, verse 16 and 17. The psalmist says, The day is thine. The night also is thine. Thou hast prepared the light and the sun. Thou hast set all the borders of the earth. Thou hast made summer and winter. Day and night are symbols of time. Uh, the psalmist is saying here that time belongs to God. Yes, the 24-hour periods belong to the Lord, uh, but also the, the, the years belong to the Lord, and that would be marked by the seasons of summer and winter in these verses. All time belongs to God. Now, let's pretend for a moment that your banker phoned you uh, late last Friday and, and said he had some very good news. He, had told, he, he told you that an anonymous donor who loved you very much, had decided to deposit 86,400 pennies into your account each morning, starting the following Monday morning. That's $864 a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. He adds, but there's one stipulation. You must spend all that money the same day. No balance will be carried over to the next day. Each evening, let me back up. One stipulation, you must spend all the money the same day. The same day. No balance will be carried over to the next day. Each evening, the bank must cancel whatever sum you have failed to use. Boy, with a big smile, you thank, uh, you thank your banker and you hang up. And over that weekend, you, you take the time to plan and you grab a pencil and you start figuring, $864 times uh, 7 uh, days equals $6,000 a week. You multiply that out times 52, that's almost $315,000 a year. How many think you could probably quit your job if that was the case? Amen? Nobody can quit their job over $315,000? Amen. All right, some of you would, uh, would quit your job immediately if you, you got that much money. Um, if you're diligent, just spend it all each day. Now, remember, what you don't spend gets forfeited. So much for let's pretend. Now, let's talk about let's get serious. Every morning, someone who loves you very much deposits into your bank of time 86,400 seconds, which represents 1,440 minutes, which, of course, equals 24 hours. Now, you've got to remember the same stipulation applies. Because God gives you this amount of time for you to use only within that day. Nothing is ever carried over to the next day. There is no such thing as a 26-hour day. Although sometimes we wish there was, don't we? There's no such thing as an 8-day work week or 8-day week. As someone once put it, life is like a coin. You can spend it any way you want to, but you can only spend it once. You can only spend it once. Hey, Christian, every second of every day belongs to the Lord. He gives it to you to use for His glory. How are we doing with that? You filling out the notes there? Let's, let's do this together. I'm gonna, we're going to get to the alliterated word, and I want you to say it out loud. Amen? If you're not filling out notes, you're going to be lost. We're, we're going to do the best we can. Ready? Here we go. My 
treasures belong to God. My things belong to God. My tomorrows belong to God. My time belongs to God. Number five, my talents belong to God. My talents belong to God. John chapter 15, verse number 5, we find the verse that says this, Without me, ye can do nothing. Ye can do nothing. You know, um, God has given me a set of talents, just like He's given you a set of talents. Some of you in here are musical. You can sing. You can play an instrument. Others of you in here are athletic. You can throw a football to someone on the move, or you can hit a baseball at 100 miles an hour. I don't know anybody in here can do that, but there's people out there that can do that, right? Some of you can shoot a basketball or hit a golf ball. Uh, 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 others of you in here have another set of talent, and God's given you a talent. Maybe you're good with money, and you know how to manage and steward money, and you're really well at, at planning and, and preparing and setting money to the side and investing that money, and you've got an eyeball for it. Others of you in here, you've got strong relational skills and you get deep-rooted friendships and uh, the Lord has given you relational talents. Everybody in here has a set of talents, but my friend, God did not give you those talents for you to build your kingdom. God gave them to you to build His kingdom. I see people say, I don't have time to sing in the choir. I don't have time to sing in church. I don't have time. And what are we saying? We're saying, God, you gave me my time, but I don't have it that time to use for your honor and glory. What? What are we saying? I don't have time to, to, to serve the Lord. He gave you the time. It's His. He gave you the talent, it's His. We are to use it for His honor and for His glory. We're to use it to promote Him. We're to use it to push Him. We're to use it to honor Him. We're to use it to build His kingdom. My friend, what talent has the Lord given you? Are you using it for the Lord or are you using it for yourself? Number next, number next. Notice, my thoughts belong to God. My thoughts belong to God. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Now, I gave you some homework last week. How many did your homework? Psalm 19, verse 14. I encourage you to memorize it. Anybody here memorize Psalm 19, 14 over the week? The rest of you get an F. Amen? Psalm 19, verse 14. Let's say it together. Ready? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my Redeemer. My, my strength, my Redeemer. I messed it up! And I remember, I, I worked on it this week, and I messed up, I, I missed my strength there. My strength and my Redeemer. And so, uh, the meditation of my heart, the meditation of my heart. Before Satan gets a Christian drunk, he gets them to drink that alcohol in their mind many, many times over again. Before Satan ever gets a spouse to have an affair, he gets him or her to do so over and over again in the mind. Before Satan wins the battle in our physical life, he first wins the battle in our thought life. You know, your thoughts are supposed to belong to the Lord as well. Each, uh, each day, at some point in the day, 
I bow my head and I confess my sins to God. And I go through a list. I, can, I begin confessing the sin of my eyes. And then I confess the sin of my ears. And then I confess the sins of my heart. I confess the sins in my mind. I confess the sins of my mouth. I confess the sins of my body. Any other sins. And then I confess just other sins that may not fit into those categories. When I get to my mind, and I'm confessing the sins of my mind, my thoughts, I confess my sins in these two categories. My visual thoughts and my verbal thoughts. My visual thoughts and my verbal thoughts. What do I mean by that? There is a theater in the head where we can visualize things that can be very wicked and wrong and can get us going down a path that's awful long before someone leaves God's plan for their life. They've allowed that that plan to take place in their mind over and over and over again. And my friend, we must guard our heart. We must guard our mind. We must give our thoughts back to the Lord and say, my thoughts belong to you. Help me to use them for your honor and glory. My thoughts belong to God. Lastly, number seven, notice my temple belongs to God. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 18. And let's read down through verse number 20. I'll begin reading. The Bible says, flee That means run in the opposite direction of, run away from, flee what? Flee fornication. What is fornication? If you were to write the words sex sins on a paper and draw a big circle around them, everything that fits inside that circle is fornication. Pornography is fornication. Now there's different levels, right? An affair, premarital sex, extramarital sex. Right? Any sexuality that does not fit within God's plan is fornication. Flee. We're to flee it. Look at verse, uh, let's, let's keep reading the verse. Every sin that a man d- uh, doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Look at verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is what? The temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. Read that with me again. Ready? Ye are not your own. For ye were bought, you, you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Have you heard this phrase in the culture at large? Ready? 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 My body, my choice. Have you heard that phrase? My body, my choice. You know, that doesn't fit the biblical model. This is not my body. This is His body. And He dwells within me if I'm saved. You say, well, what if someone's not saved? Then it is their body. Oh, no, 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 hold on. You see, even if you're not saved, God still made your body, so He still owns your body. You with me? So even those that are lost don't get to say, my body, I can do whatever I want. Oh, no, no, no. God made your body. It belongs to Him. But if you have been saved, then your body is twice His. Because He bought you and then He redeemed you. Oh, Christian, you be careful what you do with that body. 
Oh, we as Christians are bent on, I have to be happy. I have to be happy. I have to be happy. And no, 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 no. You don't have to be happy. You have to be holy. That body belongs to the Lord. Remember, there was a time in my life where I was uh, involved in some behavior that just didn't please the Lord. I was involved in some habit sin that just was wrong. And uh, I remember I was reading through the book of Isaiah trying to get my heart right. And I came across chapter 43 where the Bible says, Ye have made me to serve with your sins. And I put my head down and I started to cry because I got this visualization that I'm dumping septic sin down my throat uh, figuratively and it's being dumped all all over the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God is just sitting there with this sinful sewage pouring on top of Him. And He's just sitting there and He's grieved and He's weeping. Why? Because I'm not treating my body as though it belongs to Him. I'm treating it as though it belongs to me. Boy, we live in a day and age where the LGBT community is strong. People want to stand up and defend that crowd. And Christian, we need to have a kind spirit toward everyone. But please, what the world needs to understand is that it's not your body. It's His body. And He gets to dictate what we do and don't do. I hear Christians say, well, but pastor, don't you understand that uh, some people are just born that way? And I say, God made the body and God made the rules. And don't get upset with me for stating the rules. Don't get upset with me for saying what God said. It's His rules and we're not called to question it. We're called to obey it. And I don't say that to be hateful or mean or unkind toward anyone. But how dare a Christian question what God has stated? And I just say this, if you don't like what God stated, don't get angry at the preacher. And don't get angry at other Christians. Take it up with God Himself. Christian, that body belongs to you. That means the way you dress it matters. That means the way you present it matters. That means the language that comes out of your mouth matters. That means the way you behave matters. God has called us to be holy. Are you stewarding that body So one day giving an account to God in a way that says, God, I struggled. Lord, I wasn't perfect. But I did my best. When I fell, I got up and dusted myself off and I gave my best to you. Gave my all to you. My friend, I want you to understand this. When we get done with the message this morning, it all belongs to God. All of it. How submissive are you to give it back to Him? How submissive are you to prepare it for one day when He returns for Him to have it? Boy, we, we have some soul searching to do this morning. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Lord, thank You for salvation. You paid such a great price to buy our salvation. Lord, You died for me. And You've called me to live for You. Lord, that's the least that I can do. Oh, Lord, help each of us to get a new definition of stewardship. And help us to understand that You have called us to be stewards. Lord, the sermon I've preached this morning isn't necessarily a popular one. 
I doubt anyone will leave here and say that that's their favorite sermon they've ever heard. But Lord, it's a sermon we all need to be reminded of. Lord, help us to loosen our grip on the things that we believe to possess. And Lord, help us to be submissive to you and your commands in our lives with those things. Those people, those relationships, our future. Lord, help us to surrender all. In Jesus' name we pray.